0: Welcome to China in Context, I'm Duncan Bartlett. In the past 200 years, more than 30 million lives have been lost on the battlefield, according to The Economist magazine, although it reassures its readers that wars are becoming less common and less deadly. The great fear for Asia is that there would be a huge loss of life if war breaks out between China and Taiwan, a conflict which has the potential Of drawing in the United States of America. As well as the human cost, the economic consequences would be very severe. Today on the podcast we'll be considering if this economic factor acts as a strong deterrent to conflict. After all, China's communist party places great emphasis on peaceful economic development and China's leaders have observed the ghastly consequences of war in other countries. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by a guest who has precisely the right background to analyse such matters. Charles Parton is a former British diplomat who specialised in China. He's now a fellow at the Council on Geostrategy and at the Royal United Services Institute and also at the Mercator Institute for Chinese Studies. Charles, welcome back to China in Context. Thank you for having me back. I'd like to start by sharing with our listeners some of the phrases which Xi Jinping used at the 20th Party Congress in October. He refused to rule out the use of force to reunite Taiwan with the mainland. In fact, he told Congress, resolving the Taiwan question is a matter for the Chinese, a matter that must be resolved by the Chinese. And then he added, we'll continue to strive for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and the utmost effort, but we will never promise to renounce the use of force, and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. Xi Jinping then used a remark, which was widely quoted in the international media, complete reunification of our country must be realized, and it can, without doubt, be realized. What's your interpretation of what he said?
1: Well, yes, the language was was strong, and it's been increasingly strong over the last few years. Um, you know, foreigners keep out, uh, and 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 elsewhere they've said no, no, no official relations, and many other things. Um, I mean, I think for the first time, really, it spelled out a deadline. But it was 2049 when the second centennial goal of a strong, socialist, modernized, powerful, harmonious, civilized country. I always get it in the wrong order. Um, is to be realized, and, and and in a sense, putting together what he says, it, you know, the theme is no rejuvenation without reunification. But that's a long way from saying that, that, that there will be an invasion. So what I think we're looking for now, we, we will we'll find, is um, a, a pretty stiff reaction, increasingly stiff reaction, from China to other countries in their dealings with Taiwan, and increasingly stiff reaction from the Communist Party
0: To Taiwan itself but no invasion in my view. In an article which was published in the Financial Times you wrote that an invasion of Taiwan by China would imperil Xi Jinping's China dream. What do you mean by the China dream and uh, why would it be imperiled by an invasion?
1: Well, the Communist Party has lots of these sort of phrases like China dream and, and second centennial goal and rejuvenation. But they, they all add to the fact that, uh, as, 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 I, as I often say, that China wishes to be the number one superpower in the world and have a world that's better uh, ordered to, uh, to advance its interests and values. Um, now, if if an invasion was launched and failed, and it might well fail, it's extremely difficult militarily to attack an island over across 100 miles of nautical miles of of rough sea with the topography that doesn't suit with an army that's not that experienced etc etc and there are only 14 beaches you can land on you could go on and on but if it failed then I think that would be a disaster for Xi Jinping and the communist party politically economically and 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 in the eyes of its people so is he going to risk what he sees as the China dream um getting China to be the number one super for a very difficult and dangerous,
0: risky invasion. Uh, I think it's unlikely. Well, reading through your article in the FT, the thrust of it seemed to be that China faces a number of quite acute economic challenges, including COVID, and so it can't afford any military adventurism. Now, to the readers of the Financial Times, I'm sure that makes eminent sense. But my question is about Xi Jinping and his generals. Is the economic cost actually utmost on their minds?
1: Well, the quick answer to that is the survival of the party of power is what's always on the top of their minds, always on the top of their minds. Um, but but to get at the economics of it, no, I think we need to sort of look what might happen in the event of an invasion, or indeed a really serious long-term blockade, which is roughly the same in many ways. Uh, what would happen? Trade and investment would plummet. Foreigners would not uh, be investing trade would be completely disrupted, shipping costs would go through the roof, and that's assuming that ships would go anywhere near that area. And let's not forget that a third of the world's trade goes through those, those trades. Um, Taiwanese exports to China plummet. Uh, those are mainly components which go into China's own exports for the rest of the world. So 200 billion nearly of, of those exports, you could multiply that by a very large sum, maybe 10, who knows, and that's what China's exports would suffer. No semiconductors would be a disaster for the world, and, and that would cause a global economic collapse, as well as a Chinese economic collapse, and that's before you even get to the question of sanctions, which I'm sure would be applied. So add all that together, and what do you have? You have a global and Chinese economic collapse, massive unemployment within China, no real social security net for that, uh, so you have an awful lot, millions and millions, hundreds of millions possibly, of Unemployed, very angry people. And there's only one place that they can take out that anger on. All good things come from the party, as Xi Jinping tells us. But the obverse of that coin is that all bad things can be blamed on the party. I think Xi Jinping can follow that logic through, which is why I don't think that he he will invade. But I also think that we outside in the free and open countries need to reinforce that in his mind. Um, and and let them know quite clearly that there will be sanctions if Taiwan is invaded
0: or blockaded. President Biden has said that US troops would come to Taiwan's defence if it is attacked. Well, that leads on to two questions in my mind. Firstly, uh, can President Biden be taken at his word? And secondly, what's your view about the efficacy of the US military deterrence when it comes to Taiwan?
1: Well, if attacked, as I said, I don't think attack will happen, but um, nevertheless, um, a, a military deterrence is important and necessary. It's, it's actually, it's helped before the attack rather than after, which will be much more difficult. This isn't Ukraine, Russia, where there are land borders and you can ship things in its, it's sea and things become vulnerable to missiles, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think over the next few years we will see that sort of help in, in preparing Taiwan for a better form of defense. But would would America go to Taiwan if attacked? I think it probably would. Again, if you look at the the map of the Western Pacific and and you look at the first island chain uh, and the second island chain, these these get a bit technical, but um, basically, if you lose the first island chain, then places like Guam and Okinawa, where America has bases, become very difficult to sustain uh, and, and your whole position in the Western Pacific becomes difficult to sustain. Is America prepared to give up its dominance in in the Pacific? I don't think it is. And therefore it has to ensure that Taiwan maintains its its own um, independence, if you like. And, you know, there is a values issue here as well about democracy and people right to choose a country of their own free will.
0: We're framing the Taiwan issue as a great power struggle between the US and China, but a large number of other countries have a stake in this, don't they? I'm thinking especially of the nations which are part of the informal defence pact with the US known as the Quad. That's uh, India, Japan and Australia.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, actually, just to say uh, in a frame meeting as a struggle, power struggle. But we should also, as I just hinted, phrase it as a value struggle, because this is about the right of, of 23 million people to choose their own life, lifestyle and, and, and form of governance. Um, so I don't think we should forget that. But you're right. I mean, other countries are very much involved because, uh, as I said, a third of all global trade passes through those straits. Uh, and, and, you, and you think particularly about Japan. Um, it's not just Japan's economy, but also its own security. And what happens to the Diaoyu Islands or the Senkakus, depending on your political view. Uh, Okinawa and Guam are very close. And indeed, uh, the effect of of an invasion of Taiwan if such occurred would be enormous on the region. Australia, for instance, I think would find it very difficult to to continue iron ore exports, which are the backbone of its earnings from from China. And there would be sanctions and and, and domestic boycotts and and, and no investment. All of that is going to affect most countries of the world. So uh, yes, it's not just a a US-China struggle. It's, It's far wider than that.
0: In March of 2022, we're likely to see a new governing team in China when the National People's Congress confirms the new jobs. Uh, We know that the uh, Defence Minister, Wei Feng He, will be retiring. Uh, What else do you think will be significant about that meeting?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, Wei Feng He is the Minister of Defence, but the Minister of Defence isn't that important uh, in in terms of uh, military decision making. Um, We shouldn't think of it in terms of our own Minister of Defence. The Minister of Defence in a China context is is the one that handles the barbarians. What really important is is Xi Jinping, who heads up the the Central Military Commission and some of his close associates like Zhang Xia. So I'm not expecting a great deal on on Taiwan and um, military matters at the two meetings in, in March. There's never usually... Uh, a, a vast amount. It always gets a little bit of a mention, but I think we'll see a continuation of the language and a continuation of the policy, and, and no sign that China will will invade. But uh, over the next year or two, I think we're going to see increasingly stringent measures taken by the Chinese Communist Party against Taiwan. I mean, they've hinted, for instance, at the updating of the Secession Act, which was passed in 2005. Uh, and I think we might see that being aligned much more towards the um, provisions in the, in the national security law of Hong Kong, which is a fierce beast. So th- th- there will be action on Taiwan, but um, I'm not sure how much of it will be declared in, in March at the uh, NPC and the other meeting of the Political Consultative Conference.
0: Well, thank you, Charles, for your skillful analysis of the diplomatic, geopolitical, and economic issues which are at stake with regard to Taiwan. That was charles parton an associate fellow at the council on Geostrategy. he's also a fellow at the royal united services institute and at the mercator institute for chinese studies this podcast is produced by the soas china institute and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk but for now that's all from us here on the china in context podcast team